You may recall that five years ago, people were excited about the business prospects of this whole legal cannabis uh, industry, so much so that there were initial public offerings for cannabis producers uh, with uh, skyrocketing prices. Uh, It was almost like a new gold rush. That was five years ago. Where are we now? It's one of those questions where you almost have to check in with some of the pros, people like our next guest, Deepak Anand, who is a cannabis consultant and principal at ASDA Consultancy Services. Deepak, thanks so much for joining us. Five years, hard to believe. You know, when I uh, checked the calendar, I thought, yeah, yeah, five years ago, a lot has come and uh, gone in those five years. Um, are you surprised? Well, time certainly flies by very quickly. Thanks for having me and, and very happy to be on here. But uh, no, time certainly seems to have, have flown by very, very quickly. I think the key line here is that, you know, the sky really hasn't fallen post-legalization, which was a concern by many in the country. So that's the punchline. Yeah, I think, though, what, what I mean by are you surprised, are you surprised that five years later, that uh, the landscape of what we see with the industry is the way it is? I mean, there aren't super rich companies like we thought there would be one year in, um, and there are still sales that are in the black market. Yeah, look, I don't think anyone was expecting, you know, the black market to have gone away on, on sort of year one or even year five post-legalization. Uh, certainly there are a number of challenges in, in the industry, But I think from a public policy perspective and the fact that Canada still is the only G7 country to have legalized cannabis, it's still a still a significant milestone. Right. I think you've gone from the illicit market having 100 percent hold on the space to most recent stats from Canada saying 68 percent of consumers are purchasing cannabis through legal channels. I think that's a pretty significant shift. Deepak, you're quite right, and I guess we look to an example in the States. Uh, of course, this is a federal issue in Canada, a state-by-state issue uh, when it comes to the U.S., but if you look at various states uh, and how they operate, it's quite a bit different than Canada and quite a bit different than what we have in B.C. So if you take a look just at B.C., where have we gotten it right in terms of our system for retail sales And where did we not get it right? Let's break it down. Absolutely. So I think generally, uh, you know, I think on the cultivation side, BC has done some pretty significant work. So what I mean by that is there has been a number of, you know, small, what we would call craft cannabis cultivators operating in in remote and, you know, far distant places such as the Kootenays and Kelowna and Kamloops and Gabriela Island that have now all been licensed. Uh, And BC has played a pretty significant role with the federal government ensuring these entities get licensed. So I think, you know, we've done that and done that right at at a federal level. Um, As far as it relates more on the retail side, I think certainly cities like Vancouver embracing cannabis retail very early on has, has have been pretty significant. Uh, and, you know, retail has, the prevalence of retail has certainly helped expand or, or enable that shift from the illicit market to the illicit market. However, when you look at large cities like Surrey and Richmond, I think where we've gotten it wrong is five years post-legalization, those cities have zero cannabis retail stores. 
And so I think, you know, that is a huge area uh, of concern. And it's not as if people that are residing in, in most cities specifically aren't accessing cannabis. You know, they're accessing it through illicit channels, which then promotes further, you know, the, the black market. And it certainly promotes things to go underground and uh, policing and public safety not having visibility into where that cannabis is being procured from, who is selling them, et cetera. And so it creates problems for these cities. So I think those are some of the challenges that we've seen. Well, uh, even when it comes to retail of food items, Surrey shoppers don't necessarily stay in Surrey. They go to places like Langley and Delta and downtown. Um, And same thing with uh, Richmond. I mean, if you live in Richmond, you certainly have the ability to get things in other places. So I don't know. I've always questioned that local uh, regulation. But be that as it may, do we have um, the ability right now to have uh, cannabis delivered to those people that live in areas that have banded, like Richmond and Surrey? Delivery. There, you know, it is possible uh, through certain channels. Of course, there's the online channel to the BC Cannabis Store where you can have things delivered. It's, it's certainly not the most effective e-commerce delivery solution. I, I seldom think governments are able to put those into place. It's certainly not an Amazon-type model. But, but there are certain... Uh, you know, retailers that will deliver. However, you know, we know that most people that want to have access to cannabis want to have, you know, the ability to be able to go into a store, often within walking or driving distance to them, and be able to pick it up and have conversations with bartenders. I think, you know, we've seen this across across the country where these retail deserts that are forming up, like city, like Surrey and Richmond, are not really beneficial to the to the consumer. I think you know you will see when stores open in these cities that they are, uh, you know, have significant volume that are pushing out because people are looking to access these through uh, legal channels. We're talking with Deepak Anand, cannabis consultant principal at ASDA Consultancy Services. Uh, five years after the fact, uh, we do have legalized retail cannabis sales in this country. Uh, Deepak. Um, You know, if you live in Richmond or Vancouver, as we're talking about, uh, legally, you're not going to be able to see those storefronts. Are the suppliers, the retailers still interested in trying to get into those markets, get into areas where the municipal or municipalities have said no? Or are they just uh, kind of given up at this point saying, ah, forget it, we can set up our store on 200th and Langley and uh, still get the same market? No, absolutely. There's there's a lot of interest by retailers to actually participate in, in places like Surrey and Richmond. Surrey most recently had a number of public hearings on this issue, and there was tremendous interest on behalf of uh, retailers that operate elsewhere to open up locations in those specific cities and municipalities. Uh, so I'd say there's, there's a lot of interest on, on behalf of retailers. The other thing I've noticed, uh, just out of curiosity, journalistic curiosity, I'll call it on my part, when I've gone into places in California or Nevada into their retail stores, I've noticed the products are a whole lot different and the uh, dosage is a whole lot different for uh, allowable amounts of THC and uh, CBD. Where did we ever come up with the idea that gummies in this province should have 10 milligrams in a package. Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, that's that's the difference between a state-by-state regulation and a federal regulation. I think where this came from really was when the federal government began looking at this almost, you know, seven seven years ago, uh, they did a number of visits to places like California and Colorado. And the feedback they got from those regulators was it's 
always easier to expand regulation and make it easier and make more products available than to take it back. So in other words, if you put a hundred milligram gummy on the market and, and a novice cannabis consumer was to was to consume that and have sort of you know undesirable outcomes, uh, it would be much more difficult to control versus you know having a limited 10 milligrams amount that would be able to be increased over time. Certainly, you know, we've seen this now post post five years of legalization that there haven't really been any of those significant health uh, adverse health outcomes that have been, you know resulted uh, as a result of legalization. So now it's really incumbent on the federal government to start to ease that, right? So I think there are consumers that want access to higher THC limits, and that's certainly the federal government needs to enable. Uh, it is, in fact, part of consultations that are currently ongoing. There has been an expert panel that has been formed by the federal government to review this issue. And when you look at the key findings of, of, of this panel that just released a report last week, one of the, one of the findings was that the THC limits uh, should be increased. So, you know, I think that's something that you can reasonably expect from the federal government. Okay, so factor fallacy right now. Is the good stuff on the black market? I, I, I think the legal market has, you know, some, some great product. I think there's a lot of transition. There's still some products that are, are much better on, on the black market. Okay. And do you see that changing our governments and regulators and those that take a look at things like, uh, you know, the, the amount of allowable THC, CBD and uh, products? Are they saying that, uh, yeah, okay, we have to open up to get the full market? Do you see that as a move or a trend? It, it certainly is a trend. I think that I, I think the bigger trend here is that the consumer is definitely the winner. I think the consumer is the winner from both a price perspective because we've seen the price of cannabis, both on the illicit and the illicit market, come down significantly, and that benefits the consumer. You know, in the end, I think from a product variance and a quality perspective, we're also seeing the consumer win because there's a real drive on both sides of the market to be able to entice that, that, that consumer. And so I think as a result, we're starting to see a lot of product uh, and good product be made available. And the, the product that isn't that great, we're also seeing it not move. And, you know, you're seeing a lot of licensed producers now have excess inventory, and that's because the market is really, you know, voting with their wallets and not really, uh, you know, prioritizing uh, substandard or lower quality products. So the consumer wins uh, in all instances. It's been a rocky ride on the uh, the markets, uh, you know, the publicly traded markets for the companies that uh, have got into the cannabis uh, game. Why is it so rocky? Well, I think it's, you know, it's typical for any new industry. We certainly saw this with, with dot-com. Prior to that, we saw this with telecom. I think, you know, what it really boils down to is, is the fact that there were some bad actors and there were certainly some companies that were set up uh, at a much significant scale than what the market has been able to bear. And so there was a lot of overbuilding that went into this by some of the bigger public companies uh, that have since kind of had market share be depleted. And I think that's where we're starting to see the micros and the smaller craft cultivators really start to win. So I think that's been one of the challenges. But, but regardless, I think when you have a $5 billion industry today in Canada, that was effectively zero five years ago. And that's, you know, something to celebrate. Also, what I would say is when you look at consumption numbers, you know, they're certainly trending upwards. And so we will see cannabis as a as an industry continue to remain main, mainstream and also grow over the years. So, you know, the industry is, is not going anywhere. 
I think you will see actors that perhaps weren't set up correctly uh, start to disappear from the market. But generally, I think the market will shake itself out. Deepak Anand is a cannabis consultant principal at ASDA Consultancy Services. Uh, Deepak, uh, you know, I remember about five years ago when this first started to take hold in our province in B.C., that we started to see the sales, of course, in government stores. Now there seems to be to be more private stores. Where's the mix? Where's the growth? So I say, you know, both sides. I think if you look at this from an affordability perspective, pricing at some of the government stores certainly seems to be a lot more in line uh, with sort of consumer kind of demand and expectations. However, when you look at this from a service and a product availability perspective, that's where a lot of the private kind of stores are really shining. Uh, so I'd say really, Bruce, it's, you know, it's, again, the consumer is really winning in this instance because it is providing them with various avenues for access. And so I think it's, it's good to have a mix of both private and public kind of retail options for the consumer. You know, it's interesting that you say that. When I go into a private wine store, uh, I know that there's somebody there that probably knows a lot about wine. But take that into a store selling cannabis and gummies and whatever uh, joints or whatever you want to buy. Uh, the customer service is next to none at almost all of them. Like it's really high. Excuse a pun. But uh, <laughs> why is it that uh, was that a concerted effort to make sure that there was that high level of uh, customer service? Like it's almost over the top. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just it's a factor of, uh, you know, there being quite a few different retail outlets in certain cities and municipalities. And I think there is really an interest on behalf of bud tenders who are the who are the store clerks that are basically selling products to you that, you know, there's a lot of interest in in making sure that the consumer is well educated, well informed, uh, and is getting a product that they will like, so that they will return. And so that becomes fairly and particularly important when you've got competition around you and you're trying to make sure you're you're creating long-term consumers. It's also coupled by the fact that there, you know, a lot of these these people that are are selling products have been consuming them and have been buying them in the illicit market for a long time. And now the fact that it's legal, you know, they, they want to showcase their their expertise and their and their capabilities. So those are the factors that that I think are really driving that high level of customer service that you're seeing. Yeah, and I think the expertise is also true on the growing side. I know that uh, some people were taken from the um, the illicit industry right into the expertise on the legal side. That's what I've heard anyways. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, that's, Bruce. Thanks for having me.